we're just going to pray again tonight and jump right in. They're working on the altar stuff over there, so we'll do go on with this tonight. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we praise you and we worship you. We thank you, Father God, for your glory, for your majesty, for your love for us. Father God, I thank you that as we spend this time together, Father God, where two or three are gathered in your name, there you will be in our midst. We ask for your presence more than anything else, Father God. Teach us, show us, open our eyes, and give us understanding to your word in Jesus' name. Last week, we talked about revival a little bit. We talked about revival begins with personal repentance. Revival is not so much about the world and sinners. It's about us, the body of Christ. Revival isn't so much about everyone else. It's about us individually. Repentance and revival has to take place in us before we can expect a harvest, or we're never going to bring the harvest in, let alone bring it to maturity. Last week, we also talked about before God, once we're born again, we are royalty. And that gives us dominion over the principalities and powers of the air and the works of the enemy. But our assignment on earth is to be servants. But our, our real call is to be intimate with God. We have to get to know God. And so we have to realize those different areas. And sometimes I think we get so busy fighting each other that we forget that we're just supposed to be fighting the devil and we're supposed to be serving one another. And we can get off off in that regards. Not only do we go after the harvest, but see, as a body of believers, so we talked about our assignment being servanthood, and as a body of believers, that assignment, I believe, is twofold. Not only do we need to go after the harvest, we need to get people born again and into the kingdom of God, but we have a responsibility to help them grow spiritually and stay, stay in the kingdom. If anyone should understand that, it should be Nebraskans. I mean, there's so many things through the scripture. You know, Jesus taught in regards to the way they lived there, and we should understand you don't just go out and pick the corn. You've got to do something. You've got to make sure that it's dried, that it doesn't get moldy, that it wasn't rot. We have to take care of the harvest once we get in. And that's why God is concerned about you and about me and about our character. That's why revival needs to take place before he's, he's going to bring in the full harvest. And there's harvest coming in, there's no doubt. But that's also why he talks about the harvest is... It, there's a great harvest, but pray that you send in the laborers. We need the laborers. The one thing that concerns me a lot that I think about is it talks about, everybody in the end talks about the end times and signs of the times, and they talk about the earthquakes, and yes, there was one yesterday in South America or Costa Rica or something, and, and, and signs you know, fire and earthquakes and natural disasters. But the one thing, as I've read through the scripture, that I think that the sign of the times that it talks about more than anything else is about people being deceived. And my gosh, we can just look on what's going around us. And there are people that are grossly deceived, but not just the people out in the world. I think we have to be very mindful and watchful that we aren't deceived. You know, God wants us 
to stay on track. He wants, he's interested about that. In Matthew 24, 11 says, Jesus himself said in the end times, many will be deceived. And we need to understand that God loves you and God loves me. And he's the as interested in our spiritual well-being as much as he is in the unbeliever because, yes, he wants them to be born again, but ideally we are the instruments to get that done with. So we need to kind of get our act together. So everything years ago there was a book written, and it was something like um, everything I ever needed to know I learned in kindergarten. Remember that book? So I had thought through the years, if I'd ever write a book, I was kind of would think, and everything I ever needed to know, I learned in the Monroe Tavern, <clears throat> which I learned a lot. <laughs> and, but but I, as I've thought about that, really there was more. What I really learned a lot was on the playground at recess. And, you know, I don't know how old you, some, I know Lonnie and Steve and Brian and some of you guys will kind of understand this, but we had a great playground and our recesses were never supervised by an adult. And they just sent you out there and that enabled us to learn a lot of stuff. We weren't controlled, we didn't have to be compliant, but we learned a lot of stuff. And I pretty much lived for recess. That's about the only reason I went to school. But we learned to entertain ourselves. We learned to be creative. We learned to be create, courageous. We learned to be self-reliant. We learned to be self-governing. We learned that good behavior meant long recess. Bad behavior meant short recess. So there were a lot of things. And, and we had this great playground. And it was back then the big sturdy kind. You know, the big, the swings had the big round steel and the swings weren't those little soft plastic things they were boards that you could stand on and cables and they were sturdy and so we had this great big swing set and it had three swings across and and we never swang just to swing that was too boring but we had games that's we created things we were inventive and adventurous and one of our favorite games was we'd swing, get all three, three people on the swing, and swing as high as we could and have long jump contests. Did you ever do that? You see, get as high as you could and go as far out as you We got so, I mean, we even would get our own sticks and mark them and have contests and lay them out and set records for ourselves. And, and then we played chicken on the swing. So you put one person in the middle swing and they're going this way. You put the two on the ends and they're going this way. And you see how hard you can crash until the person in the middle chickens out and gets off. So, but, so that was our favorite swing game, but we had teeter-totters. We didn't have those little sissy plastic teeter-totters like they have now. We had, they were long planks, you remember those? About this thick this wide, long, and the one game, we never teeter-tottered either, that was boring, so we would get three people, we had three teeter-totters, and you'd get three people, one on each teeter-totter, and you'd stand in the middle like this, and we'd have balance contests, and you'd stand and balance, and those things, they were long, and they were heavy, and, you know, if you'd get a little off balance, one end would go down and hit the ground, 
and then that person was out and somebody else got to come in. But our really fun thing that we did with teeter-totters was we'd put one person on each end, and then we'd get three more people, or actually six people, three in the middle and three in the middle on this side. And then on the count of three, so the teeter-totters down here and up here, on the count of three, the down people, the three would bail off and it'd fly the person on the end. You ever do that? That was fun. So, and we'd take turns being the one to get to. But, you know, everything got boring fast, so we just kept adding to it. So I can remember this. This day is branded in my brain. We put five people in the middle here and five people in the middle there. And I was on this side. I was on the side facing south, facing that would face the swing set. And it was, we were, the other end was heavier, but we pulled and pulled until we got it down, until we got on, and somebody helped hold it down. Now, I had a cousin in my class, and she was the youngest kid in the class. She was kind of the bottom of the pecking order always, but she always, she would just get volunteered for everything, but she was so stubborn and so strong-willed, she'd go along with her, naive. I don't know what she was. Anyway, so we put her on this end, and five of us, I was on her side. I got, was one of the five here. Then we had five real heavy and then the one on the end down there. And on the count of three, our synchronization must have been great that day. On the count of three, five of us bailed off with her on the end. And she launched so high <laughs> that you could probably still go out in a clear night and see her orbiting the earth. I mean, she launched so high towards that swing set. You know, before you die, you, have a, you see your life flash. Her life flashed before my eyes. My life flashed before my eyes. I mean, how she lived, I will never know. And that's probably why now they have supervisory says That's probably where it got started. But, you know... I don't know. I, at that moment in time, I got a realization, a good science lesson, how important balance is. Because if something's out of balance, it can get really dangerous. I mean, she flew. And we didn't have, you know, rubber mat playground. It was gravel. And how she missed the swing set, I will never know. It was the grace of God that we all lived. Anyway, I said all that to say this. When I've been thinking about being deceived and how not to be deceived, I think one of the key issues is balance. We've got to stay, as believers, we've got to stay balanced. People tend to get in one ditch or the other ditch, and you get down here and you could get launched. You can get way out of, out of there. And, and we need people to be grounded. God is a God of order. And to maintain order, there has to be balance. We are often warned in scriptures about heresy and doctrines of devils. Very simply, wrong doctrines pull us out of balance. Heresy, or heresies are off balance they are choosing 
opinion or, or a way to go based on personal opinion. They create division and they substitute self-willed opinions over submission to the truth. I looked at I thought, what really is a heresy? And that's what it is. It t- talked about being off balance, making choices based on our own personal opinion, and it tends to create division because it's just like in the state house right now. You've got some of these people that are so adamantly, because of their own opinion, fighting everything that everybody else wants. It's creating a divide. And that's basically what a heresy does. It causes that divide. And it substitute, we substitute self-will opinions over submission to the truth. In other words, I want it this way. I believe it's that way, regardless of what the Word of God says. So deception isn't only just rampant in the world. Deception, I think, is rampant in churches today. And there's lots of examples. You know, you can listen to different things. Some people believe in churches now, they're promoting that there is no hell, there's only heaven. Um, you have people that believe that you, re- if you read and study the word of God, that, you know, one of the things you hear a lot about now is love is love, or they talk about just everything should be love. We've got to give in to everybody else. But, you know, I've read my Bible I went through, and in Amos 5.15 it says, it, and they downplay hate because we have to love. But Amos 5.15 says, hate evil, love good. Ecclesiastes 3.8 says that there's a time to love, a time to hate. Psalm 119, verse 163, it says, I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Verse 113 says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Verse 104 says, through your commandments, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And see, the thing is, we don't hate people. We need to love people. But we need to understand that we should hate what hurts or destroys people. It says in Psalm 97, you who love the Lord must hate evil. So we have to understand when you read the word, you can't just cherry pick it. You can't just go and look for that one scripture that fits your opinion and then make doctrine out of that. We have to take the whole word of God, that whole word in context of what it's saying, but we also have to measure everything in the word by the rest of the word. You can't just pick out one thing and then nothing else in the word of God lines up with it. Then that's, that's a wrong doctrine. It's taken out of context. Um, Christ, another thing we hear a lot of is that Christians shouldn't be involved in government because of the one scripture that tells us we should submit to authority, but they don't even consider the examples of people like Esther, Nehemiah, David, Samson, on and on, that stood up for what they believed, resisted evil, and were involved in doing good things. There's other examples of balance in our life, in the everyday things. One of the things um, is, think about communication. And this is, because I've been thinking about this, this is something we really need to improve here. I think Through the years, we just got kind of lax, and now there's so many different ways of communication, whether it be Facebook, whether it be texts, whether it be emails, whether it be 
phone, whether it be face-to-face, whatever, it, it almost makes it complicated. And we have to get a little sharper and a little better at communication. But to be balanced, as far as communication is concerned, it's as much about listening as it is about talking. And I think that's the area a lot of we, we've we've gotten lax in. It's so easy to get on Facebook and just spew out your opinion about everything. But do we, you know, and people like that. But do we have we forgotten how to listen? Last week I talked a little about being still, and we need to. Um, listen to people as well as talk to them, but we also need to listen to God as well as, as, as talk at him. In Psalm 63, I'm going to read this to you, in verses 1 through 8, and this is a psalm of David. He said, O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because of your loving kindness is better than love. Life, my lips will praise you. Thus, I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands to your name. And it talks about praise here. And it says, Praise is to command, to praise, to adore, to glory in something. And it also means to be still, to be quiet, or to be pacified. Shabak goes in two directions praising. Or calmness. The verb occurs 11 times in the Old Testament. Eight of those have to do with speaking words of praise. The other three references speak either about calming the tumultuous sea or about hushing up things within one's heart. And so, you know, sometimes we get so have to do this, have to do this. Sometimes, like we talked about last week, sometimes you just need to be still. There's a balance in that. You know, we can praise God and praise God, but if we never stop to listen to him and be still, it almost becomes irreverent to God, I believe. If you, if all you ever do is talk and never listen, you're off balance. If all you are just busy, busy all the time, and are never still, you're off balance. If all you ever do is pray, but never study the word, you're off balance. Or if all you ever do is study the word and never pray, you're off balance. If all you ever do is teach and never learn, you're off balance. If all you ever do is work and never rest, or rest and never work. It's true spiritually, but also in the natural. We need to be balanced. We need to balance our checkbooks. We need to balance our tires. Our diets need to be balanced, and exercise needs to be balanced. That's where I got the Peloton Christianity example. Because you go, oh, I go to the Y, when I go to the Y, and you get up there, and I'll be honest, a lot of times it's the old duffers. And they go up there, and they've decided that they need to exercise, and they go up, and they hit there, and they're just going like crazy. And they go so hard, it's probably the last time they'll ever go because they're exhausted when they got, there's no balance or good sense in what they're doing. And sometimes we get like that with Christianity. We can be underzealous, we can be zealous, but we can be so overzealous. I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to try to prove to God, I try to stir God up, I got to try to make God move, I got to just do everything right and so perfect that it just becomes counterproductive. So how do we how do we maintain balance? 
a couple of my concerns are, are um, with people that have been Christians a long time. Because it's kind of like on the teeter-totter, the, the balance one, where we stood in balance. You got tired, and you couldn't keep that balance any longer. You get weary, and you've tried to make things happen, and you get out of balance one way or another. And we have to learn to... To, that's why it's important to be refreshed and rested and, and stay in contact with other people. It helps us to be balanced. And new believers, on the other hand, get pulled, I think they get pulled in so many directions by so many other voices that it's easy to get off balance. And really, that is the plan and the ploy of the enemy. In our lives, God gave us husbands and wives. Husbands should balance wives, but Wives should balance husbands. One reason we should be planted in a church is being around other believers because it helps us keep balanced. Everything you see God does, there's a balance. So last week we also talked about how you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. But if your soul and your body team up against your spirit, you're going to be unbalanced if your soul is a mind, will, and emotion, and your will and emotion gang up against your mind, it's going to be unbalanced. We need all things to be in balance. Jude, Jude verse 20 says, But you, beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. In other words, we've got to keep strong spiritually. The way you keep your spirit strong, one way, is by praying in the Holy Spirit. It, it acts like a a weightlifting thing for your spirit, man. It makes you strong because our spirit needs to be in ascendancy over our mind, over our body. But God gave us a mind. You know, and, and, and um, if all we use is our spirit and never use our mind, that's out of order. If all, all we go by is our emotion or our will, and keep the mind out of the thing, we become unbalanced. Whatever we do to the overextent to the ditch keeps us unbalanced, and we want to be in the middle. We want to be balanced. We have the prayer. We have prayer, the word, and worship. It needs to be balanced. If you have, if you know, some people, people tend to like one of the three more than others. Mike likes to pray. He's always liked to pray. I would rather read and study the word. People, there's people that just want to pray, but we have to have all three. We can't have just, if it's all, all prayer and no word, we'll get flaky. If it's all word and no spirit, it becomes legalistic. And if, if all we're ever interested in are the gifts of the spirit, but not the fruit of the spirit, we get way off, off control. So I want to read a couple scriptures to you in 2 Corinthians Chapter 13, verse 5. I've got to find it here. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. It says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? So he's telling us, and that's kind of, this is taking from last week. We talked about we have to not just be going out and, and, and 
trying to bring everybody in, but we have to take care of ourselves. We've got to examine ourselves. We've got to test our hearts. That's why God starts revivals with repentance, because we need to take time to look at ourselves and look in, look in our hearts. It's, it's really no different. In years ago, did your mom ever do spring house cleaning or fall house cleaning? I, I don't usually do it just in the spring or fall, just whenever I get around to it. I just haven't gotten around to it much lately. But that's what happens to us spiritually. We need to take time sometimes and examine ourselves and make sure that we're cleaned up before we can go out and, and minister to other people. So um, then for, uh, in Second Peter, that was Second Corinthians, Second Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to read this to you, I have it written down, verses 5 through 10. He says, but for this very reason, give all dilig- giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Virtue is moral excellency and goodness. So not just faith. We have to have virtue, moral excellency. To add to your virtue, knowledge. To your knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance or patience. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren or useless nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted or unbalanced, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his own sins. So in other words, we're talking about we have to make sure we have these things working in our lives. That's why we need to do that spring house cleaning and check up on ourselves. It says, so anyone who lacks these things is short-sighted or unbalanced, even unto blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his own sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And that's what got my attention. So if we're working on being in faith and virtuous, and having self-control and knowledge, particularly knowledge of the Word of God, and perseverance and patience. We not get in a hurry when God doesn't move as fast as we want Him to, but we've got to be patient, to be kind and godly, and all these things, if we do those things, we're not as apt to get deceived. James 1 Uh, verse 12 through 16 talks about being enticed or being deceived, being tempted to quit, just getting off balance because we aren't operating in those things that we've, we've heard. And I was thinking about Sunday we did, we sang amazing grace. I had listened to Rick Renner a couple weeks ago and he was talking about how you can't The word of faith, we are basically a word of faith church. We were born out of that word of faith movement. And we believe in faith. But if all you have is faith, that faith teaching, you're you're missing other things. There needs to be teaching on doctrine. And he talks about it, and we've always endeavored to try to keep it balanced. But I know some of these ministries and ministers, all they ever do is talk about prosperity, 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 prosperity. And if that's all you're ever doing, it gets out of balance. 
and we need some of it, but we don't need it all the time. And I can remember it got so the song Amazing Grace, a lot of word of faith people wouldn't sing the line where it says Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. They wouldn't sing that because they said, I'm not a wretch. I'm saved by grace. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And that always rubbed me a little wrong. I understood what they're saying. Once you're saved, you're no longer a wretch. You're freed from sin and the sin nature. But let us not forget our humanity. Let us not forget that we can still miss it. Let us not forget the, the nature, the sin nature of man. And that's where we came from. And I think we get off on those areas. We get so focused on one thing and we need to make sure that we understand we even though we are born again our spirit man is born again we still have a flesh and a will and emotions to contend with and they are still we have to renew them daily so it talks about um if we do these things we will never stumble in other words we stay on track we stay balanced in Second uh, Peter, it talks about the word you get self-control. And here's another thing that the Word of Faith movement doesn't like to talk about. We don't t- like to talk about virtues like self-control. And, and we understand that because of the sin nature, we can't. We, we're going to miss it. We're going to make mistakes. But it's because of Christ that we have the ability to renew our minds to the word of God, to build ourselves up in our most holy faith, and, and to be able to, ha- enabled to exercise self-control. Sometimes you just don't feel very loving. But it talks about we have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. We can do those things. We just can't do them so much on our own. In Second John, um, verses, verse 7 through 9, Second John, verse 7 through 9, it says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who did not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. But look to yourselves that we do not lose those things that we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. In other words, we need to not get so emotion-minded, not get so harvest-minded. We need to be harvest-minded. Don't get me wrong. But we need to look to ourselves daily. And the one thing I was thinking about as I was going over this, when I played ball, one of the hardest things for me, especially my last two years in college volleyball, was I just didn't deal with making mistakes very well. Man, if I would go out, it, softball didn't bother me as bad because I was just going to have fun. But college, well, it was paying for my college. I had to do well. I had worked hard for this, and I wanted to play perfectly. And I would make a mistake. I'd hit the ball out of bounds or something, and it would get in my head. And I really had to learn to put it behind me. And I think spiritually we need to do the same thing. I'm sure every one of us this week 
has probably missed it. Probably today, somebody's missed it. And we have trouble sometimes forgiving ourselves. And how can we forgive somebody else if we can't even start with us? God loves us. And we have to learn to not live in a sin consciousness. That I'm no good. I can't do it. I just blew it. The whole thing. And, and I, my coach really had to work with me. And she had to work with our whole team. And just learn from your mistake, but go past it. Go past it. And I think we all need to, we all have areas in our life where maybe we just struggle getting past it. There's just some weakness in our life that we have trouble dealing with. And we have to understand we can't develop a, such a sin consciousness that all we ever do is condemn ourselves and we can't get past that. We have to forgive ourselves before we're going to forgive other people. And you have to get beyond that. So we need to develop a righteousness conscious. we, consciousness. We need to understand that we have a sin nature, but because of Christ we have a righteousness nature. And we can't forget and ignore that we do have areas in our lives we need to work on. But then I think, you know, we need to realize other people miss it too. And it talks about brotherly kindness and and like I said, if I wrote the book on everything I ever needed to learn in the Monroe Tab, I learned in the Monroe Tavern, it was, there's a lot of people out there making a lot of mistakes, and I was there right with them. And, and we have to understand, everybody blows it. But we can't stay there. And we have to under, try to understand that, you know, people are going to miss it. And the world out there, and we get so busy sometimes, I think, caught up. We're trying to fight this and fight that, and it makes me angry. And, and, and there comes a time where we've got to learn how to build the bridges instead of destroy the bridges. And we need to learn how to stand up against evil but figure out how to work together in some areas. And it's especially true. If we can't learn it in a church, how are we ever going to do it in the community? And so we have to, I think we have to think about those things. We have to consider those things. And you say, well, I just, last week I talked, I just want the harvest I want the harvest to come in. I want to see signs and wonders and miracles, and I know you do too. But I'll just end with this story. So I grew up on the Monroe Canal, on the Loop Canal. Our house was, what, 50 yards from the canal? And to get home, we had to drive almost a half a mile off the main road on the canal road to get to the house. And in the winter, the road was really narrow, there's no fences or anything to keep you from sliding in. And it'd get really slick, or when it, the thaw would come out, it'd get ruts that would just kind of throw you. And we had to drive up that road to get home, and it, it was kind of eerie. But the eerie thing about the canal is, is they want that to cap over with ice. If that freezes over with a nice 
thick cap of ice, they can generate from the water flowing underneath it. But the thing about that is when it gets really cold and you're along that canal and it's dark and it's cold, the ice groans. From the, I suppose it's from the water moving underneath and it groans and it's eerie. <laughs> Many a time I ran to the house at night in the dark when it was cold because it was eerie. And along those canal banks, they put in what they call piling or riffraff. It's old car bodies or old trees to hold those banks intact. And there's big fish in there. I mean big fish laying down in the bottom of that thing. So about 20 years ago, so I had a friend, there were four kids. Well, I have a f friends, and they live just south of the canal up by the bridge. And they were about in their 60s, about 20 years ago, I suppose it was. And there were four kids driving along that canal road on a super cold night. The two girls were in the back. The two boys were in the front. You know, those canal roads were, were uh, good for parking places or <laughs> a lot of things. Anyway, I don't know what happened. I don't remember what happened, but they slid into the canal. And the car went through the ice, at least partially, and it started to sink. And the two boys, I think they tried to get the girls out, but they panicked and they got out, and they couldn't get the girls out. So they got out, and they ran to our friend's house. And by the time they got not very far, maybe 75 yards, they, hypothermia had set in, and they weren't thinking right. And so they, she called, the wife called 911 and tried to get the boys warmed up, and, and his name's Lee. Lee got his car. He, I don't know. He got a cable or a rope. He got a hatchet. And he went and drove up there, and he saw where the car was going further and further down. And he tied the rope or the cable to his car, and he tied the rope or the cable to his waist. It was pitch dark. The police, the you know, EMTs and them weren't there yet. They weren't going to be there for a while. He was the only one there. And he went in the water under the ice to get the two girls he wasn't successful. It had been too long. He couldn't get him out. But I think that about that story, because <laughs> he grew up on over and over and over. Could I have done that? Would I have done that? Would I have laid down my life like that? And he survived. He was smart. He had been a biologist for the Game and Parks Commission. He had been around a lot of stuff like that. But we think about, that was a pretty major thing. That was, it still just sends, just the cold sends chills down my face. But can we not lay some things down in our lives? Just little things. Can we not make the effort to do those things when other people's lives depend on it? And I know we do. I, we, we aren't in a position right now thank god that we have to go in after somebody like that but just i don't know when i think about and maybe this is kind of super heavy but i think there's you know i told caleb a couple years ago i just told god i'll do whatever it takes i just want to do what god wants me to do and then some days it hasn't seemed so fun 
And then I think about things like that. And I think we're at a time and a point we just need to really do a deep introspection in our lives. And I know, you know, we're there. Say, I've done that. I've done that. But then tomorrow comes. And it talks about we need to look unto ourselves daily. And I think not only for the good of the harvest that's going to come in, but I don't want us to get off track. I don't want us to get deceived. I don't want to lose anybody. Just like they lost the two girls. That was a heartbreaking thing. But their, their spirit man, their eternal destination is more important than anything else. And so it's up to us, I think. It's serious, it's somber, but we need to look to ourselves daily and make sure that we're keeping on track and not allowing ourselves to be deceived and moving forward and, and checking up on ourselves and checking up. We need to be a balance board. We need to hold each other accountable. And we need to encourage ourselves to go on. We can do this. I believe that the harvest is going to come in, is coming in. You see the Mario things in Florida and Bakersfield. And um, Sean, I can never say his name. Micah gets mad at me. Sean Foyt, Foyt, Foyt. He's doing a state-by-state tour. Going to go to every capital. And he's an evangelist. And he's going to come to Nebraska. And harvest is going to come to Nebraska. So I'm just asking, just make sure that we prepare ourselves. And it's not so much, yeah, it's about them getting ready to do altar ministry. But more than anything else, we prepare ourselves right here. Keep our hearts right. Father God, create within me a clean heart and a steadfast spirit day by day by day by day. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this people. I thank you, Father God, that we love you. And Father God, we want to be used by you. Help us, Father. Create within us clean hearts and steadfast spirits. Prepare us and make us vessels useful for the Master day by day by day by day. We love you, Father. We thank you, Father God, that you have chosen us for this season. We were born for this day. Father God, help us to stay on track, stay on balance, and be used by you. In Jesus' name, amen.